This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. And this isn't necessarily a happy message today. And I think maybe this weather is kind of fitting because when it's raining outside, how do you feel sometimes on the inside? A little dreary, right? But just because today isn't necessarily a happy message doesn't mean it's not good because in life, is everything good and happy and funny and joyous? Or do we sometimes suffer from gloomy days and not just when it's raining outside? Today, we're going to be talking about saying goodbye because this is what Paul does in Acts chapter 20. And uh, before we get into that, let's just take a, a step back. And what did we talk about last week? We talked about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul did some great things. He performed miracles in so much power that, in fact, if a handkerchief touched Paul, it could be later given to somebody else who was sick, and they would be miraculously healed. Now, it wasn't anything that Paul did. It was Jesus working in him and through him. And we know that because there were some sons of Sceva. Remember them? They were professional exorcists. And when they went to this demon-possessed guy, do you remember what they said? In the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, right, come out. And the demon's response was, we know Jesus We'll f we are familiar, or I'm familiar with Paul, but who are you? And the demon ends up beating up these men and kicks them out of the house, and they're, they're naked. That's what happens when people try to do things in Jesus' name who don't have a relationship with him. And we talked about how great, how awesome would that be to be talked about amongst the demons. It's kind of scary, though, too, isn't it? It's like, oh, they have you marked. Right at their, what, Saturday night, I just picture this, not that this really happens, but their Saturday night poker game, right? The demons get together, and they're just chatting, and they're talking, and they're like, man, did you hear about Moreland Baptist, what they're doing? That would be kind of cool, right? But intimidating as well. But the lesson we can learn from last week is as long as we have Christ in us and we are doing things in his name and not under our own strength and power, do we have anything to fear? No, we don't. But if we are trying to do things in our own strength, then should we be afraid? Yeah. Yeah, so it's a good reminder for us. And then at the end of chapter 19, there was a riot. In Ephesus, and the thing that calmed them down when, when the town clerk spoke up, one of the things that calmed them down was that, you know, this Paul guy, he hasn't spoke against our belief. He's just spoken about what he believes. And what an example that is for us as Christians. We shouldn't be attacking necessarily other people's false beliefs. Instead, we need to be promoting what we believe. And then when people hear what we believe and they compare it with what they're taught, then they can see, okay, maybe, maybe what I believe isn't really true. 
And so because, right, if somebody were to come up and attack you for what your belief is, would you be open to what they have to say? Probably not. Probably not. But if they're, if they're just speaking what they believe, personally, I'm more inclined to listen to them, and then I can compare with, with what I believe. But today, right, Paul is going to be leaving Ephesus and just saying goodbye. How many of you have ever said goodbye to somebody? Knowing that maybe this was the last time you were going to see them. How hard is that? I remember growing up as a kid, we'd visit our grandparents because I grew up in Nevada. My grandparents and cousins, they lived in Indiana, and we would visit them once or twice a year, make the cross-country road trip. And what happened every time, do you think, when we said goodbye? What are the two things that, that we did? We cried, and what was the other thing we did? Hugged. We cried and hugged. Because we didn't know when we would see them again. We had hope that we would see them again. But one of those times, right, was the last time. And so this is sad because I'm sure all of us can think of somebody that we said goodbye to. And it was the last time. But what we're going to be focusing on today is, is not just that, but how important it is to make sure that what we communicate to people is what's true. How many people have regret because the last time they said goodbye to somebody, it wasn't maybe on good terms, and they had that eating at them? So when we say goodbye to people, we want it to be on good terms, and we want them to know the truth. So before we get into Scripture today, before we get into our passage of Acts uh, chapter 20, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you, Lord, for, uh, for what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, all, that you've given, uh, all that you've given to us. Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct us this morning, that uh, you would remove any distractions that we have, Lord, and that we would be fully just dedicated and focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So follow with me, if you would. I hope you brought your Bibles today like I did and not rely on technology because technology doesn't always work. So we're in Acts chapter 20. Follow with me as we uh, go through the first six verses, and we're going to be talking about the journey to Jerusalem, because that is where Paul heads next. So let's read about that. It says, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Epirus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derb, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So we see here in this journey to Jerusalem, what did Paul 
do before he left? He encouraged others, right? He encourages others. He's going to leave. He gathers them around, and he's encouraging. Now, isn't it nice when somebody encourages you? Who here likes it when somebody encourages them? Yeah. Who here likes it when somebody discourages them? Says, you're no good. You can't, right? We don't like that. But it's important for Paul, and it should be important for us, to encourage others. And he encouraged people before leaving. And as he's traveling, what is he doing as he's meeting other Christians along the way? He's encouraging them as well. He also, if we look at verse 3, he's also traveling to avoid persecution, which is interesting because he knows, and we'll find this out later on, that he's heading towards persecution. It's just he wasn't supposed to be persecuted there. Uh, Let me read verse 3 again. It says, There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So what's happening here, what seems like is happening here, is he's getting ready to set sail, but he knows there's some people, Jews, out to get him. And if he goes on this boat with your enemies, that's not a wise decision. Because when you're out in the open water, how easy is it for somebody to just disappear. So instead of taking the public transit here, he said, Paul decides, I'm going to walk it instead, which is a, a safer thing. So that's what he does. And he ends up going, he ends up arriving in Troas. So let's talk about that. Verses 7 to 16, it's teaching in Troas. And this is an interesting passage of scripture because Um, Well, let's just read, and you'll find out why this is interesting. On the the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the young youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So there was teaching in Troas, and what what was it? It was a worship service. And we see here that they worshiped on what day of the week? The first day of the week, which we call Sunday. (laughs) All right. Yeah, today is Sunday. And this is where we kind of get why Christians would meet on a Sunday. And it says here they were gathered together the first day of the week, and it's something that they did regularly, which was what? Break bread. We call it communion. That's right. And it seems that in the early churches, they would have communion on Sundays every Sunday. Now, does that mean that that Christians can only gather on a Sunday or that we have to have communion every Sunday? No, it, it doesn't because the scriptures don't tell us that we have to meet on a Sunday or that we have to have communion every time we meet. What 
do the scriptures say about communion? Right? As often as you do it. However often that is. Some churches do once a week. Some do um, once a month. Some do quarterly. Some do more times than that and less times than that. And everything's okay. It's just that when you do it, you do it to remember that Jesus died and rose again, that he paid the penalty for our sins. So they observed communion. This next thing that we learn about here about Paul's sermon, I don't think anybody here would really appreciate. Maybe you would, I don't know. But how long did he preach? Long. Okay, it probably started in the evening, but he preached to midnight, and then he preached more. Wow. How many of you would? So let's say it probably started 6 or 7 o'clock, but let's just, maybe they started at 9, okay? That's still over three hours of preaching, and he is going strong. What would you do if I went three-plus hours up here? You'd probably do what Bob's doing back there right now, Bob Brown. Everybody can take a... Sorry, I didn't mean to call on you. Bob's already dozing off. It's not even three hours yet, Bob. Come on now. And I don't mind if you fall asleep while I'm talking. That doesn't bother me, as long as you don't snore. Okay, please don't snore. If you snore, we're going to have to... Now, who's guilty of falling asleep during a sermon? Right? I haven't fallen asleep through any of mine yet, but again, if I do, nudge me, okay? Or just get up and leave. And so here he is, right? He's preaching. It's a long, and it's a long sermon late at night, early morning, really, because it's, it's past midnight, and Eutychus, a young man. This term used, he's probably between 8 and 14 years old. And what story are they in of this house? On the third story. Now, if you own a home and you have a second story or a third story, what happens in those upper levels? It gets what? It gets hot. It gets warm. And not only is it body heat, but there's candles, right? Because they don't have LED lights back then. So they have candles, which also produces more heat. So here, Eutychus is sitting in a window, which I give him props just for being there listening, and he starts dozing off. Paul is preaching, Eutychus is sleeping, and then a terrible, things hap- a terrible thing happens. What's that? Eutychus falls out of the window, three stories, and he dies. They pick him up, and he's dead. Paul makes the right decision here at this point. What does he do? He stops preaching. Okay, so if any of you fall over, right, and you die in the middle of a sermon, I'm not going to say, well, you know what, I'm on a roll, we're just going to keep going. We're going to stop and, and take care of you, and we have plenty of nurses here, we will try to revive you, but I won't do what Paul does because, frankly, I'm, I'm not there, right, God doesn't do any signs and, of healing through me, I won't be able to bring you back, but we will stop the message. And so it, it's interesting that all this happens, right? There's commotions in churches. And I, I, I this is me being selfish, I kind of want to be in a service where something crazy like that happens just because sometimes nothing crazy happens. But to be there when that happens, be, oh, man, I was there. Eutychus, man, it was awesome. 
you fell out, everybody, it was just horrible. But I can smile because obviously Paul brings them back to life. And then what do they do after that? Does Paul send everybody home? No. They eat. All right, guys, it's been long. Let's eat. So they have another meal. They eat. And then after that, they have discussion time. This is a, a good example of, you know, this day and age, we call it large group, small group, where there is teaching going on. And then later on, there's discussion about that teaching. And he did that until daylight. Why would Paul do that all night? Because he has plans to leave Monday morning. Now me, if I'm traveling, I'm going to want to, you guys, okay, let's go to bed. I want to get a good night's rest because I'm traveling tomorrow. Paul didn't. He's like, I'm here. I'm going to spend as much time with you as I can to teach you God's word. Why would Paul do that? Because he knew that this may be the last time. And if you knew that it was your last time seeing somebody that you cared about, would you be, well, you know what? I'll see you later. Or would you try to spend every single moment you could with them? That's what Paul did. That was how he sacrificed for other people. He stayed up all night, not just preaching, but then conversing with them and just answering questions that that the congregation had. And so you see, that's how Paul said goodbye. He invested in them. He didn't want to waste anything. And they just ate and talked till morning. Now, the one thing that is interesting about this passage, which, which I'll mention, is that when he, right, verse 10, Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And then they eat, right, and talk. And then verse 12, then they took the youth away alive. So I don't know if the youth was still dead or just laying there unconscious while the rest of the morning happens or how that worked out. But anyways, I think Eutychus, man, when he went home, told his parents, hey, mom, you wouldn't believe what happened to me last night. And she, I, you can probably hear a mom saying, how many moms would be nervous if their teenage son was hanging out on third-story windows? How many moms would be like, go ahead, son. Dads would be like, yeah, that's cool. We did that when we were kids. Yeah, I don't know. His mom may have killed him when he got home because she was so upset. But he did that. And then we read again, after that morning, right, Paul moves on. He moves on. On. Let's read verses 13 to 16. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asus, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asus, he took, uh, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite um, Chios. The, night, the next day, we touched at Samus. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so we see here, again, he moves on. But this ship is different. This ship, it seems like he actually hired. It was a private ship that he paid because he set it up ahead of time. And he said, you guys go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk. One of the reasons, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, 
But the group of men that was with them, part of their job, because we read about this in actually 2 Corinthians, because 2 Corinthians was written during this time, it, is, it seems. Paul had these men come because the churches, the Gentile churches that had started, were bringing an, an offering to the Jerusalem church. And Paul, and Paul was being accused of having his hand in the till and taking money. And, so, and Paul was like, no, I don't. And I'm going to have men come with me, and they can handle the money. So it makes sense that that money would be taken on the ship while Paul walked and just spent some time alone. Does that sound familiar to you? Was there another great preacher who would send his people by ship and would walk alone? Who, would, who was that? Can I, somebody tell me who that was? Jesus, right? Jesus did that because sometimes, right, Paul needed time alone. And I know sometimes I need time alone, and people sometimes just need time alone. And so he traveled alone. And then when he gets on the boat, the ship, they had, and that, usually that route, they would stop by Ephesus. But he didn't. He passed Ephesus. And I think because he had spent three years there, what happens if, if you're passing through a town and you know somebody? Can you, can you just do a quick visit? There are certain people, you know, that when you call them on the phone, the phone call is going to be five seconds. Yes, nope, yep, boom, right? And there's other people, you know, that if you call, you have to make sure that you have the next hour or two available. Do, do we know people like that? Maybe you're one of those, maybe you're one of those people. But here, Paul knows, I think Paul knows that if he stops at Ephesus, he's going to be there for a while. Because he has so many friends, so many relationships there that it's not going to be a quick stop. He's going to have to stay. People are going to be, hey, come over for stuff. You know, just come, come, come. So he wants to just keep going because he wants to reach Jerusalem by Pentecost. Well, then what we have here next, and this is really what I want to spend a majority of our time on this morning, is... Paul gives a, a Christian challenge. Now, specifically, this challenge is for the elders in Ephesus. He gets there and he calls the elders, say, hey, come to me because I want to share with you. This is my final goodbye. But even though Paul is talking specifically to the, the, the elders in Ephesus, and this is really Paul's only sermon in the book of Acts or message in the book of Acts that we see that is strictly to Christians, I think it's applicable for all of us because it's something that we as believers should strive for is to, is to be an example to others. So the Christian challenge, and that's the, what he starts off with when he talks to these, these elders, is to be an example. Should church leaders be an example to those in the congregation? Yes. And you've heard that phrase. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, as the leader goes... So do, so do what? The followers, right? And as a church leader or church leaders go, the congregation tends to, tends to follow. And it's weird, but it happens where sometimes the, the culture, the DNA of a church replicates, and it, it ends up looking like the pastor and the leaders. And so it's important to make sure that your, your leaders are setting a good example, because if they're not... The congregation won't either. So let's read about that. We'll start with verse 17. 
2.21. It says, Now from Miletus, while he was there, right, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are some things that in, in this example here that he talks about? The one thing is servant leadership. Paul says, hey, you guys know how I came to serve you. I, I preach the word in public and in private, right? Not just in open space, not just in the, in the auditorium that we talked about last week, but in homes. Isn't it great when you have a leader who serves? I don't know about you, but I am more willing to follow a leader who serves me. If I know that the leader has my best interests in mind, I may not always agree with their decisions, but I'm willing to go along with it because I know that they're not there to serve themselves, that they are, are there to, to serve me. And so that's what he, what he says, right? You know, right, that I served the Lord, you know, with all humility. He also talks about here just Christ-exalting leadership. That's what he talked about, exalting Christ. He didn't talk about, oh, exalt me, ex exalt Paul. He talks about exalting Christ, following Christ, pointing people to Christ. It is sad that there are so many churches that don't exalt Christ. There are so many churches that the Bible, God's word, isn't important. And so when I started off today and I kind of joked that, hey, you mind if I use my Bible? You know that I use my Bible each and every week, right? You know that. And if I start preaching and I don't use scripture, is that a cause for concern? Yes, Yes, it is. And I've actually, I remember I was in this church service this one time. This was years ago. I was visiting the church because a friend invited me. And, and there were some announcements, and we sang some songs. And then the, the pastor prayed. And then I got out my Bible. And you know what happened? People got up and started walking out. I was like, I told if, if. There was a, a sermon or a message. I totally missed it. And maybe I dozed off. I don't know. But I remember I got my Bible out, and everybody just got up and walked out. And I'm like, I am not going back to that church again because there was no uh, Bible in it. And the other thing he talked about, that as a leader, as, as a, a Christian church leader, you're going to face conflict. It's going to happen. He did it. And when you're doing God's work, are you going to have people, entities, out to get you? Yes. The Bible talks about that. In Vacation Bible School, we talked about the two kingdoms. And they're at war with one another. And if we're doing what God wants us to do, does the enemy want us to do that? 
No. And so are they going to try to stop us? Yes. So we should expect conflict. We should expect technical difficulties to happen on a Sunday morning. And it happens more often than I would like. The nice thing is, is if you're at home watching, it's working great for you because usually it's vice versa. Usually it works great here, but if you're at home watching, you don't get it. So, and I don't know what's going on. It was working earlier today, but that's how it happens. But do we just give up and quit? No, we carry on. We continue on. The next thing that Paul mentions to these elders is to follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. Verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you um, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Follow the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter where, right? To wherever, for, right, or, and to whomever, but even for whatever. If the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to go there, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be in prison. Should you follow his leading? Yeah. Is it scary sometimes following the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Do you think Paul was looking forward to being in prison and to being executed? No, he wasn't looking forward to it. But what was his purpose, his goal? He's like, my life is nothing. We love our lives, don't we? And we try to do things that will extend our lives here on earth. Paul, while he didn't take his life, right, because we shouldn't do that, he knew that his next life would be even better than his current life. And so he wasn't holding on to life here, but he was trying to make every moment count. And so he followed the Holy Spirit to, to wherever and for whatever. He did what was right to reach whomever God wanted him to, to go. And so he, and again, he kind of struggled with that, I think. But he talks about, right, um, here, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Does this sound like a happy message or a sad message? If I were, well, I shouldn't ask that question, but if I would say, I'm, I'm leaving today, I'm never going to see you again, there might be a couple of you out there who would be like, yes, so glad. I'm hoping not everybody would be that way. I'm hoping there would be a couple of tears. But that time, and I'm not planning on it, and again, I want to clarify that, but there may come a time where God says, you know what, you're done here. You need to go somewhere else. God may tell you that. He may say, you know what? You're done here. I want you to go somewhere else. And if 
the Holy Spirit leads you, should you go? Yes, you should. It'll be a sad day. But, and, and I know this, right? It's better to be in the worst place, you know, in the darkest jungles of Africa in the will of God than to be in Lairdsville, right, outside of the Lord's will. Because Lairdsville can be a dangerous place if God doesn't want you there. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that. He also tells these elders to live faithfully. Verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, I'm innocent of what you do because I told you the truth. I did not lead you astray. I didn't just teach you part of God's word. I taught you all of God's word. And again, for us as leaders, and, and I think part of this with our church, now we don't officially have elders. You know, I would definitely be included as, as an elder scripturally. And I think some of our, our, of our diaconate would be included in that as well because in our church, right, the, the deacons and deaconesses, they kind of function as the spiritual leaders of our church. Now, is that a position you should desire and be eager for? Man, I want to be, I want to serve on the diaconate. No, because when you are called to be a leader and a teacher, you're held to a higher standard. And God's word says that. When, you, when you're in charge, man, you've you got to be careful. I fought God for years on being a pastor. I didn't want to do it. I was fully content working with children. And again, teaching children, again, you're still held to a higher accountability because teaching children is important because that's the foundation of their knowledge. And the world is teaching children, correct? Yes. Should the church be teaching children? Yes. Should parents be teaching their children? Yes, we need to be doing those things because we can't take a break because is the world going to take a break? No, no, they are working hard. We need to work even harder, but live faithfully. All parts of, of Scripture, be an example. And then he gives, and this is hard, I think, for us as, as church leaders, but he gives specific responsibilities for these elders. Let's read about them, uh, these specific responsibilities, uh, starting with verse 28. It says, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Right? It's the Holy Spirit made them elders. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Right? What are the responsibilities? You need to be diligent. 
as a leader, you need to be diligent of not just false teachers coming in, but also false teachers from within your ranks trying to destroy the church. Does that happen in churches? Yes, it does. In fact, and we talk about this, where there are churches that are solid. They follow scripture. And then maybe a family member starts in a life of sin. And then what happens? If it's the pastor's kid that gets involved in a life of sin, you know what you start to hear from up front typically? It's okay. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. It's not that bad. I can't tell you how many churches that I'm aware of that were a solid at one point, preached the word, but then when sin came in, they didn't want to hurt people's feelings. They didn't want to admonish. Who here loves admonishing other people and say, you're doing wrong? I don't know. I think there's some of you out there, if you see somebody who's doing wrong, you are quick to point it out. Paul, however, was quick to point it out, but he tells us how to point it out. How did he admonish? With what? With tears. I see somebody, right? We see somebody living in sin. Do we say, shame on you? How dare you do that? No, we say, hey, look, what you're doing is wrong. And instead of condemning the person, which is what we have a tendency to do, we bring up their sin in order to bring them back and to restore them back into fellowship. Because when we say, oh, it's not that bad, does that help the body? No, because then the whole body then tends to celebrate and say, hey, let's bring this person in. And all of a sudden, we have people who aren't living for the Lord because whole Bible isn't being preached. And the Bible talks about sin quite a bit, doesn't it? It does. We know what sin is. We just have to look at the scriptures. But sometimes, because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, we don't want to lose a friendship, we say, it's okay. Or we just judge. But anybody here perfect? No. Everybody has sin in their lives. Everybody does. But we need to admonish one another. We need to say, hey, what you're doing isn't good. Your family is suffering from it. This is suffering. This is against God's will. So we as leaders need to be on guard. And when somebody comes into our church living in sin, we as leaders, should we shy away and say, oh, they're a good person. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or do we say, what? Stop it. This isn't beneficial. We want you to live righteously, knowing that we are not better than they are. But we don't do it on our own. Because Paul then mentions, remember your resources. Remember your resources. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Who do we have access to 24-7? God. As a believer, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us. Don't lose sight of that. We talked to yesterday in in our men's breakfast, power tools. 
and batteries. Power tools are great as long as what is in them? The battery. If the battery isn't in, your power tool is not going to work that well. Same thing for us as believers. We need to draw on God's power, God's strength. Otherwise, we're not going to be useful. The other thing is the Bible, God's word. How many of you are familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16? For all scripture is profitable. All scripture. Now that's specifically talking about the Old Testament, but the New Testament here too is applicable because we know that the New Testament is also God's word. But it's, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Next thing he says, he sets a, a precedent. Verses 33 through 35. This again, this is like an example. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? He set a precedent. Work hard. Be content with what... Is it hard to be content with what you have? When you look around, you see, oh, somebody has this, somebody has that. Oh, it'd be nice to have this. It'd be nice to have that. But be content. As leaders... Be content with what we have, and it's better to give than to receive. Better to give than to receive. And then the hardest part, I think, sometimes about Christian challenge is we need to let go. Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. As a leader, we need to let go of people. Right? We can't keep them here. One of the hardest parts about being a parent is what? Letting go. When your child gets old enough and says, hey, I'm moving out. You notice that the parent always cries more than the child at that point? How many of you cried as a child, right, or young adult when you left your house? Did any of you cry at that point? Now, how many of you who have parents that have grown children, how many of you cried when your child left the house and said goodbye? I remember, you know, my dad crying, and I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm coming back, but it, it is. It's a big deal. But we as leaders, that's part of what we do as leaders is to train so that they can either go out or train them so that when we leave, it, they continue on. Part of parenting is training your child to live without you. It's so nice when you have a toddler because they need you. And then when they get to that point where they don't need you, it hurts. It hurts sometimes. But it's a good thing. A hard thing about being a parent is teaching and training your children to do things. Because it's so much easier to do it yourself. It's quicker to do it yourself. But we, as, as leaders, right, as, as elders in a church, are called to do that. But this is something every Christian should strive for. Is to train others to let go and pray for them continually 
pray for them. So saying goodbye can be very sad at times. But it can be a good thing, and sometimes it's a necessary thing. One thing that, that we do with our family that I started, when we visit my, my grandfather, is before we leave, I ask him, say, Grandpa, can you give some words of wisdom to my children? What, what have you learned in your, in your many years here on this earth? What have you learned that you can pass on to my children so that they can learn and grow? Because I don't know the next time I'm going to see him. I'm, I'm hoping, right, praying that we'll see him again when we, when we visit him. We plan to visit him next month. Because I don't know, one of these times, it'll be a final goodbye until I meet him again in heaven. And that is a hope that we as believers have. Saying goodbye, it's not easy. It's tough, but it's something that we all need to do. It's something that eventually we will need to say goodbye. So how are you going to say goodbye? What kind of a legacy are you going to leave? One that brings glory and honor to God, one that points others to him, or one that points to nowhere, or one that just points to you. Let's pray.